Why do you get attracted to the people you get attracted to? Today, we're exploring some of those mysteries that involve around those, those questions about why you end up getting attracted to certain types of people and how you can change it if they're the wrong types of people for you. Head over to therelationshipmaze.com where you can do our free argument and conflict style quiz to discover your conflict style in relationships. And remember to press subscribe right now. Welcome to today's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about why it is that we get attracted to the people we get attracted to. Yeah, so you might find that you are very often drawn to people who are not actually very good for you. You might find that you find um, somebody who's actually quite dismissive of you, for example, or not that kind to you really super attractive. And I can actually recall many, many incidences in my uh, younger years, in my 20s in particular, where I was really drawn to these kind of guys who were who weren't actually very available to me. Um, this sort of, um, you know, they're kind of quite, un quite unpleasant sometimes, um, but they were always, the more, the more aloof they were, the more I wanted them, something like that. Yes, and I, I actually see quite a lot of people that I've worked with um, and quite a lot of people that I've spoken to who they seem to get into relationships with people that aren't good for them generally. And as a result, they experience that a lot of the population seem to be so-called narcissists or, mm -hmm. or kind of, you know, what's the other word for it, toxic relationships, yeah. when it may actually be that they get into relationships with these wrong types of people because... There's something within that is, is kind of driving them or guiding them in, in this way. Yeah, almost like a kind of missile that's hitting its target, right? So you kind of, you, the missile is just following a very clear path. And what that path is, is not always very clear to us. Uh, and of course, there are many, many theories about this. There are lots of theories. There are, for example, theories from biology, uh, which explore why we're attracted to certain people. They talk about chemicals, they talk about genes, they talk about all sorts of factors. So there are many different uh, attempts at um, explaining this phenomenon of what kind of draws us in to somebody in the first place. Um, but I think what we're talking about today, of course, is um, the perspective from a psychotherapeutic uh, point of view that draws us to somebody, which is kind of the idea of unfinished business from the past. Yeah, and I mean, some of those point different perspectives actually do align. So some sure. of therapy is actually, you know, some, some of it draws, draws things from the biological perspective too. So it depends on the approach. Mm. But, but absolutely, you know, and, and why, you know, why on earth would you keep going out with somebody that treats you badly? Mm. Why would you go, keep going with somebody that, that kind of puts you down or is very dismissive? I mean, mm. it's, it seems like a really odd thing when you think about it, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, and of course there are, uh, there are explanations here that we want to explore today, which are these kind of unconscious factors that, that kind of play out in your partner choice that uh, makes you attracted to someone else. And very often, I mean, one of the theories um, that uh, is often explored is that we are drawn to people who offer us an, a possibility to complete our unfinished business. So whatever we experience in our childhood, childhood wounds that we had, uh, for example, parents who weren't very attentive, we try to fix in our romantic relationships. Well, we try to fix it in other relationships too, but mostly in our romantic relationships because they are the closest uh, experience that we can recreate to the experience that we had in our parental relationships. 
Yeah, so it's sort of, you know, as well as aligned to that is we, we look for what's familiar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the unfinished business, but also we're used to certain patterns. Those mm-hmm. are sort of things we associate to what is in a relationship mm-hmm. that that's familiar. Mm-hmm. So, if, for example, if you had to constantly look after one of your parents, you know, maybe one of your parents was unwell or even a parent was um, an alcoholic or a drug addict and you had to constantly be looking after them, there's that sense that in that relationship it's always about looking after the other person. Mm-hmm. And so it may be that in later life that that's what's familiar to us. So we mm. end up finding somebody we want to look after or maybe save because mm. you know, maybe we're trying to save our parent. Maybe we're mm. trying to, mm. you know, kind of solve their problems. So we find somebody who is potentially pro- has, has quite, quite a lot of problems and we basically want to help them. We want to try and solve them. But in reality, it's, it's something that, that really is impossible. Yeah, so um, what you're describing is that the idea of recreating these old patterns, these old templates that we have about relationships. So, Because, of course, we learn everything uh, we need to learn about relationships initially from our primary caretakers. They teach us how this works, this whole business of relationships. We don't really learn about it at school, do we? Well, we should. I think it should be a subject at school, really, relationships and how to... You know, how to kind of conduct yourself or what, what what healthy relationships look like. But we don't. So we learn it from our parents. We learn it from siblings to some extent. We also learn it from other people who are, uh, who are important, uh, maybe authoritative figures in our life. So we have these templates. We have ideas about how we conduct ourselves. We have ideas about if person A does this, then person B responds like that. So we learn all these kind of patterns. We soak it up, don't we, with our mother milk, so to speak, without much reflection as a child. Yeah, I think also to add to that, places that we learn about relationships is sometimes giving us a very false perspective. So, mm. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the unconscious learnings are from family, mm-hmm. but we also learn from media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sort of novels, there's Hollywood novels or Disney novels where, you know, you find the Prince Charming or Princess, I'm not sure what the opposite is called mm-hmm. now, but, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like you're looking for that true love, mm-hmm. which gives you that idea that, you know, you go through these struggles and... You know, you kiss some frogs and then suddenly you find that amazing person. Yeah. Uh, like there is this one person that's destined for you. And when you find them, everything mm. will be wonderful. Mm. And that's reflected in a lot of books Absolutely. as well. Um, and, and also, I mean, even more problematic in some ways, I think, is all of the different media like films, music and different things, which give a totally different impression on what you should be doing in relationships you know, that even crosses into for sort of um, some, some of pornography and things mm. where people feel a pressure that mm. you should be doing certain things in a relationship mm. if your partner wants you to. And there's that sense that, <coughs> you know, to have a good relationship, you have to step outside what is you. You have to step outside things that, that could lead you to feel shame about you. Absolutely. And I think it also ties into this idea, uh, particularly sort of in myth, in the mythology that we pick up around relationship, romantic relationships, the idea of the quest, yeah, that we, we go on a quest, so to speak. We have to win somebody over. That's very often the narrative um, that we're not going to get our prince or princess just readily. We have to kind of fight for it. We have to suffer uh, as part of the cause. So you're absolutely right. These kind of narratives are, are really part of the story as well. So if somebody's very withholding, if another person is very withholding, as I just uh, said, sort of in my 20s, I was attracted to these very withholding guys. 
that kind of fired me on, if anything, uh, with the idea of, well, I've got to really work very hard here to win them over. And then when I've won them over, I'm worthy, ultimately. It's not just that they're worthy, but I am also worthy. I'm this special person who who got her prince, so to speak. So I think what's uh, what's interesting <clears throat> in this with this idea of um, unfinished business is that very often uh, we choose a partner, you know, we don't go for the nice guys or the nice girls. We choose a partner who offers a challenge, so to speak, um, because only if we uh, if we can overcome this challenge, um, if we can finally prove to them that we are really amazing people, if we can kind of get them on our side, then we've kind of finished our quest here. The quest uh, to get the approval that we might have never gotten as a child from mum or dad, um, that we're now finally getting from our partner. So very often there's this um, almost perverse, uh, masochistic, <laughs> I would say, desire to uh, to heal the old wounds through uh, repetition, through kind of going it, through it again and again and uh, and playing it out uh, with the partner who who might have absolutely no intention ever of of uh, offering us what we want. Yes, and, and I think therein lies the problem is that we're trying to seek some sort of healing. We're trying to seek something that maybe we didn't get when we were younger, like like you said, validation mm. or or kind of sense that we're lovable. Mm-hmm. But underneath that, we back in when we were children or at some point when we are younger, we formed some sort of what I might call a disenabling belief mm-hmm. that fundamentally, you know, there's something wrong with me maybe or something where I'm not lovable mm-hmm. or something that I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Because when, you know, if you're treated badly enough when you're younger or you experience what, however, you know, whatever dynamic was there as you not being good enough, and sometimes it's not even because you're necessarily treated in a particularly no. useful way. No. But, you know, maybe there are siblings, maybe your parents are very busy with work mm. and it seemed that they focused more attention on your siblings. Mm. And that was your experience. Mm. Your siblings may have had the opposite experience, mm. but you feel that, you know, maybe there was something about you that caused you not to have that same amount of love and that you're not worthy enough. And of course, you know, sometimes that's stronger as well when there have been uh, adverse childhood experiences where, you know, where there has been abuse or you've been uh, verbally or emotionally treated in a way that made you feel very bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. But let's say, you know, at some point you form this belief, I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that fundamental belief is, it's, it's like these lenses that you have over your eyes that I think we've talked about in other contexts. Mm-hmm. But you know, once those lenses are there, that's how we see the world. Mm. So the, the problem is that even when somebody repeatedly says, you're wonderful, I love you, you're either not going to hear that or you're going to think they're lying. <laughs> or you're going to think, well, there must be something wrong with this person that they see me mm. as kind of a great person. Absolutely, because, yeah. Yeah, because this belief is way stronger than anything anybody can say because... Mm. It, it's it's fundamentally it's it's like the way we see the world mm. you know it's like suddenly you know if you believe the world you know like some people who believe the world's flat you know even though to to people who believe the world's round you can never <laughs> convince them of the other way around mm. however illogical it might seem to the other people because mm. Yeah, that's the that's what you totally believe. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that your partner, then the partner you're with, would um, would have to whatever they say, they can't really heal the wound. Or it sort of ties in with what I just said that um, you often choose, therefore, because if your if your belief is I am really not very worthy, 
then you might unconsciously choose some partners to who reinforce that belief, who you then have to win over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 like you said, well, you know, you either choose people like that who you want to win over, or or it's more or winning over yourself. It. Yeah. It's about you. It's not yeah, about winning course. them over. Of but you course. believe in that. You know, if I keep doing this, then they're showing me that mm. that they love me. But you're mm. so used to being treated in a way where somebody doesn't express that. Mm. That's familiar. That's mm. what we seek, and that's mm. what we're trying to. We we need that challenge. We need that quest somehow that we believe we can overcome so we can finally see that we're worthy. Mm. But the problem is that nobody else can make you feel that way because it has to come from within ourselves. Mm. Now, these are wounds that, that we have to heal. It can't be somebody else because we will never see that validation. Absolutely. Because that under underlying belief is so strong. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, that's the way the world is. No, and you're right. Your partner can't heal that ultimately. And this quest of trying to find a, a partner who can heal these wounds is a sort of, is almost like a mission impossible, isn't it? It's it's yeah. not really your partner's task. They can kind of go to s some way along to, you know, to helping you uh, maybe feel more secure in yourself. But a lot of that work has got to be your own work. Yeah, they, so there's that level of secureness, but I think when, if there's a belief that's so strong that you're not worthy, mm. then even getting into a secure relationship with somebody who is, is of a secure attachment style, mm. Mm. I think it still might be too challenging to mm. actually allow mm. ourselves to feel secure mm. because mm. we're looking for that uncertainty. I mean, I've worked mm. with people who um, basically, you know, they've got into a, a relationship where it's secure and that there's that feeling of missing out on these ups and downs when, you know, that suddenly they're longing for these old abusive relationships mm. where they were treated really badly at times because it was it was mm. like those highs and lows. Yeah, it was drama. Yeah, yeah it was the drama. Mm, and suddenly it's, it's how you can learn to actually appreciate that security and mm. recognize this is a pattern from your past which actually didn't serve you. No, that's right. And, I mean, it's interesting, this whole question about the drama because there's often this... Um, idea also that there has to be drama in the relationship and drama is often then equated with passion yeah this idea of if it's uh, if i'm really if i'm suffering here if i have these very intense feelings of longing for the other person then i must be really in love with them and it must be there must be so much passion in this relationship so i think there's often this kind of misunderstanding around well if it's if it's a quiet experience so to speak if it's a peaceful harmonious experience then there's something missing yeah, in the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like those sort of people who get angry and they say, "I'm not, I'm not an angry person. I'm just passionate." And try and kind of give it a different word, mm. but but actually, that <laughs> you can't really justify some of those things. But but I suppose again, going back to the media, you know, we just turn on television and lots of soap operas. Like in the UK, we have EastEnders where, you know, all lots of relationships are so fiery, and you kind of get used to maybe that's what's meant to happen in a relationship. Mm. Mm, absolutely yeah and, and then there's the talks about you read in magazines about sort of um post sort of argument sort of sex or whatever which like somehow that's meant to be great and to me it's like if i've had an argument the last thing i want to do it's, is, it's connect, is it's, kind of feel connected to someone i want no, to no. yeah just yeah, get away get away yeah absolutely so, yeah mm, that's true um yeah sort of one other thing that just popped into my head um we haven't talked about yet is um the idea of attraction and unconscious attraction is um, is also the um, the notion that we are we're we all have implicit memories from the past. So whatever we learn 
uh, about relationships, about other people, we store in our memory. And a lot of that memory sits in our limbic system, that part of the brain that holds emotions, regulates emotions. And I'm really hugely simplifying here. I'm not going to go into brain science, but... Um, so that um, that often uh, we are attracted to someone because our old brain tells us, oh, I know this. This is this is you know this is a, a pattern. This is something that I know. And of course, our old brain doesn't even think; it just reacts. It's a sort of gut instinctual reaction. And I think what's also uh, relevant within this context is that uh, from the brain, from the perspective of the brain, there is no distinction between past and present. So our limbic system doesn't distinguish between then and now. So what happens now is just, or what happened then is just as relevant as what happens now. So we're just reactive. We are reactive without being reflective. We're just responding to a situation or a person without using that newer part of our brain, the neocortex, the bit that, uh, the part of the brain that enables us to reflect, to think, etc., so this is kind of the, the sort of takeaway message really from our podcast here, isn't it, To that we need to do, we need to use that, uh, that part of the brain that enables us to step back a little bit and to think, what's going on here? Why am I so attracted to this person? What are the qualities in this person that I recognize? What are, um, you know, what are the qualities, in the good qualities and the bad qualities? So one exercise, for example, that I often invite my clients to do is to um, to write down positive and negative and uh, qualities of the primary caretakers mum and dad combined as a composite don't distinguish between mum or dad just both of them together so what are the good what are the positive qualities what are the negative qualities um, and what uh, clients are often quite surprised by is that the qualities that they've written down are very much the qualities that um, they are seeking in their partners in their partners now so they're looking for partners who offer the good the bad and the ugly not just the good that's the bit that people often find surprising so that might be something that you can kind that you can see in terms of that you can experiment with just to write that down or another thing that i ask clients to to write down is to um is you know uh, to complete the sentence uh, stem what I always wanted uh, to have from my parents but never got was, and then think about some qualities, and, and then see whether this is something that you're still seeking in your current relationships with your partner. Yeah, and I think you have to be really honest about this. And one of the mm. challenges when you write down the qualities about your parents is mm. is to really you know, really think about what was it really like? Mm. You know, not that idealized view of, yeah, I had a great childhood, yes. there were no problems, which, which is often that. the sign yeah. when, you know, there were real kind of challenges. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, when we think about our childhoods, most of us do think, well, it's a normal childhood because mm. it was normal to us. Mm. But actually, you know, within that, it's those times when you maybe didn't feel loved, didn't feel cared for, didn't feel made to feel worthy, or you felt that you had to earn love, or, you know, those sort of experiences that, that kind of led to maybe some of those sort of beliefs. Mm -hmm. So it's really taking a deeper look. Mm -hmm. um, another, another thing that you can do is also write down what is it that you find attractive about people. Mm -hmm. So take a piece of paper and think, you know, when you found in the past, when you find yourself attracted, what is it about those people that you find attractive and write down as many things as you can mm -hmm. when you think you've written down everything 
wait a little bit and write down some more because it's often those things that come out later that are the real drivers. Mm, absolutely. And then write down, okay, what are the things that um, about people I don't particularly find attractive? Maybe I like, they seem like nice people, but what is it about them that, um, what are the qualities about them? Mm. And then starting to notice, you know, those qualities about the people you feel really attracted to, do those qualities actually serve you if you're looking and wanting a really fulfilling, happy, long-term relationship? Mm. Do those qualities about people that maybe you find a bit dull sometimes, are those maybe the qualities that you'd be looking for in a longer-time relationship? Mm. Because unfortunately, it's often, it's often trying to adjust and seeing that sometimes those things that we found attractive. They're a bit like fool's gold. Yeah, you know, fool's gold, where it's yeah. kind of, it looks like gold. It mm. glitters in the outside. So it kind of looks all wonderful and sparkly. Mm. But actually within, it's worthless. And it kind of, you know, mm, absolutely. It, it has nothing within it. Mm. Whereas sometimes it says, you know, it's like you know, a diamond comes from within coal, isn't it? Or charcoal, I can't remember which. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it comes from within something that looks very, you know, like it, it doesn't have value, mm. but within that is formed something of true beauty. Mm. And I think sometimes it's, you know, seeing that actually some of those qualities that we may not have recognised as wonderful qualities within them could truly be what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And that's just something that um, that's kind of back also to the question of, you know, of, uh, when you're first finding yourself attracted to someone, you might need to get to know them a little bit better first, don't you, before you can really make that judgment call maybe of whether this person is a, a partner who can offer you what you want them to offer you who can offer you the kind of love that you need and I think another thing that might be helpful for you is to consider what are the indicators for you that tell you that you are in a loving relationship so how do you feel when you're in a relationship where you feel loved and cared for what would you experience what, what, what kind of statements would you write down, for example, that you feel um, that you feel valued, that um, you have a lot of fun, that you feel relaxed in the relationship or whatever it is that are indicators for you. Um, so just to sort of think about a little bit about what it is that you actually need. Um, and it, yeah, it's not so easy and it's not easy. I think it's very difficult to decide within uh, one date, for example, whether this is uh, this person is going to be a good partner for you. I think you can't really tell, can you? I, I it takes think, a bit more I, yeah, time. That's yeah. one thing I was, I was going to say. I, I think mm. you, you can't tell in one date. No. And I've heard so many people and, you know, I've experienced this myself where people mm. may have said or I've thought where there isn't that spark. Yeah. But how has that spark served you in the past? If you've been dating a lot, if you haven't mm. found that relationship, maybe that spark is the issue mm. because it's that stimulus response that you talked about, that conditioned mm. learning about what maybe would be attractive. Mm. But maybe we need to look beyond that. Mm. So I think, you know, you have to find obviously people that maybe have some similar values, somebody that you, you know, there's something about them you feel that they might be a good person to mm. be involved with, but you have to give that some time sometimes. Mm. We're certainly not going to know in one meeting, probably not two, no. not for several meetings. So it's giving things time to get to know somebody mm. rather than just relying on that initial impulse, which, you know, that impulse is usually, like we talked about, from from kind of misleading kind of learnings from the past. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And I, it's not one that I can answer. I'm sure there has to be also some sort of sexual attraction there. 
um, that uh, leads you to want to uh, desire, you know, want to meet this person again. I'm sure there's a that's part of that so-called spark. There's something there, and I don't quite know how to describe that. But that's not all, and also um, that's that is a factor. But there's so much more. There's so much more um, in terms of so many other factors that contribute to to building a relationship that's um, that's actually ultimately quite fulfilling. And of course, that's an ongoing project anyway. You know, no relation, nobody, no one partner offers you everything all at once. Um, so that's important. And I think the second message really from this podcast today is to look at, to not necessarily look at your partner, the person opposite you, to fix it all, to um, to have this expectation that they heal all the wounds from the past, but for you to work at that, to, um, you know, part of that quest is your own quest, an ongoing quest to um, to, to look at yourself, to see at what you need, to look, to do, you know, to develop more awareness around your behavioral patterns your relationship patterns etc because a lot of that work you can a lot of that healing you can do yourself absolutely so i think we've covered uh, everything we're going to say so please tune in to our podcast next week and um, we'd love it if you could write us a review and if it's something you'd like us to cover in a podcast email us at info at the And remember to tune in next week. Take good care and until then. Bye. Bye.